am convinced God wants to do something amazing this morning, and I am glad to be here with you um, to find out what it is. Um, <laughs> I want to welcome you uh, to Faith Church this morning. Uh, my name is Lauren, and I hope that you were able to grab a bulletin on your way in uh, this morning. There's a lot of um, good information in there, as well as uh, dates uh, for you to mark your calendar for, but I just want to draw your attention to a couple things. Uh, one, uh, if you are a youth ages uh, or grades 6 through 12 um, and you would like to come to the Strength to Stand a youth conference, it's not till January, but we're getting an early start on um, deposits. Our, that deposit, $50 deposit, is due uh, today. Um, so you can either get that to Pastor Tim or pop it in the connect box in the back there um, or send us an email and we will get you on the list. That's going to be an awesome time in January uh, January 14th through 16th in Pigeon Forge for our youth um, uh, who are pursuing deeply the things of God. So I wanted to let you know about that. Also, um, Faith Women, I want to remind you to sign up for our Totally 80 Slumber Party November 4th. It's only $5. It includes all classic slumber party fun and snacks. And um, I feel like this is going to be one for the book. So don't miss it from some of the things that Brittany let us know last week are, are going to be there. Um, you can come in costume, but you'll get all those details uh, um, soon uh, online, as well as when you sign up, you'll get a, a, an email with all those details. But come, sign up, $5 on the website, use the QR code, um, there's flyers in the back, uh, and we will see you there. Um, next, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, I won't have you raise hands, but how many of us need a refreshing just to sit with the Lord and be refreshed because we haven't found refreshment anywhere else? Because that's how we were built. We were built to need him. Well, um, tomorrow night we have Abide, uh, which we do every so often. Uh, it happens at my house, <laughs> 6 o'clock. Um, it's an informal gathering um, at our home. Uh, our friend JT here leads worship um, with a couple friends. And, and we just sit. We wait on the Lord. We bring him our song. We bring him our praise and ask him what he wants to do and are obedient to follow the leading of the Lord. Um, it's very informal, it's relaxed, but it is refreshing. So if you need a refreshment, come. Six o'clock, there's flyers on the back um, with the address and all the details you need. Everyone is invited, bring a friend. Um, let's see, almost lastly, uh, Sunday evening, the last Sunday evening of October and the first Sunday evening of November, so that's October 30th and November 6th, at 6 p.m., we'll have our Kingdom Basics uh, series. This series, this two-part series in our Kingdom Basics is on healing. Pastor Charles will be talking about uh, how what we see in Scripture about healing, what Jesus calls his followers then and now to walk in, and what that looks like practically. Like, how would we even go about walking in the ministry of Jesus in healing? So if you have ever been curious about that or um, want to know more or have a friend that's curious, come 6 o'clock, October 30th and uh, November 6th. There is child care. It's free. So... Um, push away any of those hindrances and come on out to Kingdom Basics. And then lastly, just a reminder for our faith followers, faith followers is Faith Church's uh, discipleship program for third through fifth graders. They meet every other Wednesday evening, but in service, you guys have a, a particular program paper to fill out that you get points for at Faith Followers. So if you haven't snagged that and you're in third through fifth grade, you can grab that. It's in the lobby um, to the left of the door. So make sure you snag that and turn it in at the end of the service. And with that, um, 
I usually open uh, the rest of the service here um, with prayer uh, and uh, maybe a scripture, but I felt like the Lord um, this morning, there is a weight, you guys. There is a weight of his glory this week. I don't know what he... I don't know what he has in store, but there is a weight and an anticipation for what he wants to do. Um, And I felt like he just wants us this morning as we prepare our hearts um, to praise him through song um, and we turn our hearts and our eyes to him. I believe he just wants us to sit and adore him. So if you would stand with me as we prepare um, to do that, we're just going to sit and adore him for a minute. Um, you can have your heart um, kind of come into uh, agreement with mine as I speak. You can speak his praise in your seat, but we're not gonna we're not gonna sit here and thank God. We're not gonna sit here and ask God. Although both of those things are absolutely good things to do, but in this moment, I believe that He would have us simply tell Him who He is. Simply tell Him. a characteristic of who our mighty God is. So, Father, we come to you. We come to you this morning. We trust, we trust you, God. God, you are good. God, you are righteous. You are generous. You are holy. You are worthy. You are gracious. You are kind. You are gentle. You are strong. You are powerful. You are merciful. And you are ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. So Lauren and I have not communicated this morning, and that is exactly how I was going to lead into this first song, is just magnifying the name of Jesus. Before we ever start singing it, just focusing so how beautiful is the, the spirit of unity. Let's worship our Messiah, our King, Jesus. There is a truth older than the
part of the Sunday morning prayer, we invite you to come. God is moving. God is doing something amazing. But let's all just join together in unity and say, come now, Spirit of God. We live for you. 
the blessing that we can be. You don't have to be perfect to be a blessing. You don't have to hear God perfectly to be a blessing. All he's asking you to do is ask and listen. And when you hear, you can pray right then for that person. But before you leave, before you leave, tell them that the Lord highlighted them to you and that you're praying for them. And as boldness moves, tell them what you've prayed for or pray for them right in that moment. God, I speak, I ask, Lord, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in a spirit of revelation and in a spirit of courage, that you would equip your bride gathered in your house right here this morning, that you would flood them, that you would flood them with your love for them, with, with clarity on your voice and courage to be a blessing to another. In Jesus' name, let this be the cry of your heart as we keep singing.
Do whatever you want to 
that he dwells in the shadow of the Most High. it yet, put your hands on your chest and say only what God says about me is true. I line my identity with his words. I bear the image of God. I am God's child. I am a holy one. I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm an overcomer. I'm an ambassador. I'm a partner with God. God's love for me is full. My Lord sits at the right hand of God. I am seated with him. I have the power of heaven as I live on earth. Nothing separates me from his love. Shame has no place in me. Satan is crushed under my feet. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Now you can sit. Amen and amen. So we were praying at Sunday morning prayer this morning. I said, God, what do you want to do today? And I sensed that he said the word prophetic. I was like, okay, I don't know what that's gonna look like. And then my wife stands up here and gives a prophetic word and then instructs all of you to prophesy uh, to one another. So uh, God, is, God is good. Um, we are finishing our series through authority, living like Jesus lived. We've gone, this is the six weeks. It started up as four weeks. Um, I need it on the back. Um, it started out as four weeks. It's gone to six weeks. We've gone through uh, authority and identity, how those two intermingle and intertwine. We went through the story of authority. We talked about delegated authority, authorized authority, authoritative prayers. And uh, this morning, we're finishing out as we're going to talk about authority relationships. And I'm going to be in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to be talking through this. And this is one of these message series that I'm going to reference 
um, probably for years to come, right? The, the two this year that, that have real staying power, real lasting power have been the Identity Series and this series. Not that the other series weren't good or powerful or anything like that. It's just that these will be referenced back. You will always hear, know your identity so you can walk in your authority. Know your identity so you understand who Christ has made you to be. All of these um, things will be brought up again and again. So as we talk about authority relationships, I want you to think of, uh, of like a pyramid structure, okay? And this leads me to start off by telling you about uh, perhaps the greatest scam perpetrated on the American public in the past, uh, what is it now, 30 years? In 1992, the food pyramid came out. I learned this. I I was, you know, I'm in junior high at this time. Uh, Yeah, still junior high at this time. This is in all the science books. This is everything. At the top, it's telling you to eat fats, little sparingly. It says sparingly. Use fats, oils, and sweets. And then it says eat a little bit of dairy, have some meat, a little bit more vegetables, a little bit more fruit. And then the bottom, half of your food should be bread, cereal, rice, pasta. And now we've, learned, now, we, now we've come to know that that's like, you can have some of that, but that needs to be done sparingly, right? And so uh, I, I didn't think to look it up until this morning, or this week, excuse me. But uh, in science nowadays, whenever a study comes out, you have to go see who paid for the study. Because whoever pays for the study gets the results that they want. So I said, I typed in Google, I put, who funded the food pyramid? And lo and behold, surprise, surprise, it was funded by the American Agriculture Society. So the people are saying, the people that are saying, eat all the bread and the grain and the wheat are the people who are selling all the bread and the grain and the wheat. Here's the problem with the pyramid, and here's what I'm, here's what I'm going to talk about. If one part of the pyramid is off, then it, it ceases to be a pyramid. The structure will not work. It might not have the stability that it needs. It might not have exactly what it needs to stay together, hold together, and stand up, right? And, and so we're going to talk about uh, pyramids today, and I, I might use the term hierarchy, I might use the term structure, but this thought that the way God has designed things is that he is at the top of the pyramid and everything flows down from him, right? And, and so when we think about this, we're going to look at a good pyramid and not a bad pyramid like this one. And while we jump into it, I just want to recap just going to go through these really quick. The authority is the believer's legal right to use the power of God to bring his kingdom on earth. Jesus came to save humanity, but also to redeem all creation through his life, death, and resurrection. He reclaims for humanity everything that Adam lost, everything. And then Jesus was given all authority in heaven and on earth, And he shares all that authority with us so that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. And I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do uh, so that you're prepared for it. I'm going to read these verses, and then I'm not going to come back to them until the very end of my message. So I'm going to read the verses, preach a whole message, and then get to my passage. Okay? Might be here till 2 o'clock. No, it's not going to be long, I promise. Well, no, I can never say that. But Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. Uh, And here's what it says. After he had finished all these sayings, uh, uh, all, all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And now a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I to him a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd he followed, that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to be talking about authority relationships. So let's set our parameters, define our terms and our words here. Authority relationships are people, institutions, or offices that have been designed by God to lead over others. Right? Pretty simply put, they are people, institutions, or offices that have been designed to lead by God to lead over others. So God has set things up in certain ways that the world, society, governments, churches, that we're supposed to operate, starting with him at the top and flowing down. And so if God sets up the hierarchy, then when the hierarchy is submitted to God, people will flourish. When everything is, uh, when the people at the top are looking to God and the people under them are looking to God and the people under them are looking to God, down all the way, that's when people flourish. That's when things, good things happen for people through God. So God sets this up for us so that we can flourish in him. And so if we happen to be in a position of authority, and I'm going to make the case that all of us have some place in position in a position of authority, then the goal of the authority is to spiritually empower people. It's not enough to make them feel good about themselves. It's not enough to meet physical needs. It's not enough to do these things, which are good, but to really wield authority biblically the way that Jesus did is to spiritually empower people people. And it's not just giving them knowledge either. Because Jesus, as the one who had authority on earth with his disciples and the rest of his followers, he taught them things, yes, but then he says, now go out in all the power that I've given you and go do what I've done. 
Right? So when, when we look at the goal of authority, it's to empower people spiritually. And I'm just going to talk about uh, a, a few places this morning. And the examples that I'm going to use are government, uh, pastors, husbands, parents. We'll have another one as well. But there are other places that these, um, these certain uh, uh, principles apply. A lot of what I'm talking, play to, uh, talking about will apply to your workplace it will apply to you if you're a manager, if you lead people, people you come into contact with. The sphere of authority that you have in a workplace could be the, the sphere of a authority that you have in an organization. If you're on a board, if you volunteer somewhere, if you're part of a, of a hierarchy, hierarchical structure in an organization, it will apply to those two. I'm going to give a warning label before we go forward. Warning labels are... Um, are, are funny things nowadays, right? Uh, uh, TikTok always creates uh, viral things that aren't necessarily good, right? W one of those was, you know, a couple years ago, a few years ago, people were eating Tide Pods, right? Do, do, you, do you remember that when that was coming out? Like these things used for your laundry, somebody was looking at them like, hey, it would be fun if we ate them, yay, so now if you buy a bottle of Tide Pods, it has to come with a warning label that says, do not eat these, right? It is apparent that you should not eat them to 99.95% of the population. All it takes is one fool to eat a Tide Pod, and then they have to put a warning label on it, right? This is what warning labels are. It's things that we, we probably should know, but it has to be stated and said. So here's the warning label. Disobedience on the part of those in authority will affect the whole structure they have authority over. So right, if God's at the top, the next level, the next layer, whatever it is, whatever we talk about this morning, if that person's disobedient, the people all below them will suffer. Right? If, if, okay, if it's God and then the next level's obedient, but then the next level after that is disobedient, everybody under that level will be affected. If you've worked in a corporate, a big corporation, you've probably seen this, right? The, the stuff flows downhill that's both good and not so good. And so this morning, we're going to start with the government. Here's the, here's the biblical reality, is that God desires that all government, kings and rulers, would be submitted to him. That's his desire. It is not happening. Uh, Psalm 2 opens up and it says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Why do the people and the king set themselves against the most high? And then at the end of the psalm, God tells him, this is how I want governments and leaders to respond to me. He says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, ruler, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. God says, you who have been placed as leaders, as kings, as rulers, look to me. Look to me. Kiss the son so that the wrath isn't poured out. Rejoice over me with your trembling. Come to me. Find your refuge in me. See, a godly government will be spiritually empowering all in the nation, province, territory, whatever they're ruling over, 
to love God and to serve him. So as much as we have, uh, which I would say is the best government in the world, our government does not spiritually empower us right now. It just, it doesn't. Um, they, they protect our freedom of religion. Uh, they ba- well, basically, they do the bare minimum to keep Christians happy to vote a certain way, right? That's, that's pretty much how, how it operates, right? But they are not, there has not been a president that has said, everybody bow the knee to Jesus, serve him, love him, him alone. Don't put your trust in me as a politician. Put your trust in God as above all and then actually lived it out, So a godly government will be spiritually empowering. And look, I believe that this is the goal of the earth, right? That as the church moves and grows and operates, then we will find people in positions of power who will stand up rightly and say, serve God, love him alone. Do not put your trust in me. And so even when the government is not spiritually empowering people, we are still subject to them. Paul's writing in Romans to people in Rome, and he is writing to, they are under emperors, and they are under uh, rulers who deify themselves, who claim that they are sons of God. They claim that they are half, that they claim everything that Jesus did. They claim that they're God among men. They claim that their power comes from the heavens, directly tied to that. And so uh, they're doing this, and Paul still writes to them and says, yeah, those people who build statues of themselves, who tell you to bow down to their statues, who make idols of themselves, he said, be subject to those governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. God's governance is that he sets rulers and he sets leaders. We don't have to like our rulers. We don't have to to, uh, want to have dinner with our leaders. What does the Bible say in Timothy? It says, pray for our leaders. Intercede on behalf of those who lead, right? And that goes for everybody in leadership everywhere. But for the notes, I have passages that demonstrate that if the government is going directly against the word of God, then we can disobey. And there's just a bunch of verses where that happens around um, the midwives who were ordered by the government to uh, kill all the Israelite babies. They rightfully disobeyed um, there's other passages in there. Uh, the, the government, the, the leader tells the wise men, hey, come back because I want to worship Jesus too. And they have a dream and they're like, nope, disobeying those in authority. So all of this, uh, Acts chapter five is when the authorities tell uh, the apostles, don't preach here anymore, leave, you can't do it. And then they say, uh, far be it from us to listen to man rather than God. We're gonna do what God tells us to do. So th- there are places there, but this is the hierarchy of the way that God has made things. So we have the government, we have pastors and elders, and the pastor is the spiritual gatekeeper for the local church. And I know this is weird because I'm telling you my own position and my own role, but this is what it is. The pastor allows what comes in and he tells what to leave, what is supposed to leave. 
That's what a gatekeeper does. He's supposed to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I'm not going to jump too much into this. I went over it a few weeks ago, a couple months back when we were in Peter. But here's what I want to say about it in terms of authority. If a pastor is using his authority correctly, he will be spiritually empowering people to be all they can be in Christ. So uh, part of my duties and my job as the lead pastor here is uh, every week I have to prepare a message that I'm going to give. But that's not my main role. I meet with people and have prayer times with people during the week, but that's not my main role. My na- main role is not to be cool enough, not to be, uh, not to be uh, hoard- uh, lording over people with my with my, this is the iron fist of how things will be. My number one job submitted to Jesus is to spiritually empower people as much as they want to be spiritually empowered, right? I can only do so much. If you want to be spiritually empowered, man, I can tell you 10 ways, 10 things to do that you could do to be spiritually empowered, but then you have to do it. But my focus has to be that and not preaching a good sermon, not running my staff meetings, not doing all these auxiliary things, but saying, I want you to be as spiritually empowered as God wants you to be. To understand that, to know that, and then to walk in it. That's my job. And it can be a slow process. But this is the essence of discipleship. And so we look to church leaders to do this. I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago. Uh, He lived out in California. Um, I knew him through some friends, and he moved out to Nashville. Um, He was in in the area a couple weeks ago. Um, So we went out, we had breakfast, and there was a group of us. And I asked him, I said, "Did did you find a church in Nashville yet? And he's like, yes. Like, and I, it's the type of church that I always swore I would never go to. And I thought, well, you know me, you're friends with me, you've heard some stories. So you're like, your level of weird and strange is, it's higher than a lot of people's. And he said, well, he said, Charles, it has a fog machine and there's light shows. And I went, oh, and he said, I know. And, uh, and he was, and this, and, but he explained it to me. He said, look, he said, in Nashville, everyone's a musician. He says, you go to any church in Nashville, the worship is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Everybody there plays guitar, bass, drums. Everybody can do everything there. And so that, so he, so he said, you know why I chose the church? He said, because I listened and then we visited and this pastor, he was the only one that preached out of the Bible. And I was like, oh, Okay, so he's like, so he said, so I will, I'll endure the fog machines, I'll endure the light shows if I get fed the word. And I was like, all right, you're free, you're released, go. No, <laughs> he wasn't asking my permission. Um, right. 
So we have these, we have these structures, these organizational things, the government, churches, pastors, and, and then there's the family structures. In the family structure, Jesus presents a family hierarchy. There's the husband, father at the top. There's the wife, the mother, then there is the children, right? And then household there means a whole lot of other different things, but this is what we'll concentrate on right now. See, the family structure begins with the husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. I was thinking about a little bit of irony in my thinking as I was uh, preparing this this week. Right, that, that one of my things is that we look at the miracles of Jesus. Right, We look at the way that the Spirit empowered him to heal, to cast out demons, to, to raise the dead. And, and then I would say, look, the Holy, that same Holy Spirit's in us so we could see the same things that Jesus did. And then one of the uh, arguments against that is, well, that was Jesus and you're just a person. And then I'm like, well, we have the same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is now in us, bringing life to us, right? That's what the Bible teaches. And then I was looking at this, and I wanted to say, well, I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church, but he's Jesus. How, he, he could love the church, but he, and so it was like this. I'll, I'll accept it with this part that, that comes a little bit more natural to me, believe in the authority. But then when it's like, hey, love your wife like Jesus loved. I don't know if I could do that. That was Jesus. But this is what the calling is, to love our wives, be the head of the wife. It's like, he's his head of the church, his body, he's the savior, he is the head, and the husband is the head. And then the husband who is willingly following Jesus, who is being obedient, then that wife willingly submits to the husband. But remember what I said in the beginning, or towards the beginning, that if the top of the structure, if the top of the pyramid is disobedient, then it affects everybody down the pyramid. When the husband rejects his God-given role, then the family unit is vulnerable. It's a spiritual attack that most of the time manifests itself in the physical. So husbands, when we are disobedient, everybody that we have been set as head over suffers. When we abdicate our responsibility, when we leave it to the wayside, our wives suffer. If we have kids, our kids suffer. Other people in our orbit suffer when we are disobedient. And so we will come under spiritual and physical, the family will come under spiritual and physical attack when the husband is not standing guard. The husband must stand as spiritual guardian over the house. And look, when a husband leaves that responsibility, here's here's a, a comment that wouldn't fly in today's culture, but is biblical, right? A woman can do it, but that goes against her nature and her God given role. That's what the Bible shows us time and time again that when there is no man to step up, a woman will step up, right? When no man wants to lead, Deborah stands up. There, when no man kills the king, Jael grabs the spike and shoves it through the guy's head. That, that this happens. 
Right now, people who work with church in the Middle East say that the women lead most of the Middle Eastern church because men don't step up. Right? A woman can do it, but that's not the role. The role as spiritual guardian as a man is to stand in his house and say, Satan, if you want to get to my wife, if you want to get to my kids, if you want to get to anybody else in my household, you have to come through me, and then you have to be prepared to weather that storm because Satan will listen. Right? We, this husband stand as the spiritual guardian of the house, and when we step away, Right? The wife not, might not realize it right away that she has to step up. And so when we step back, then all of a sudden the door is open for the attack. And I've sat with many, many women who live this and who know it and who understand it and want it to be any other way. They don't want to be the spiritual guardians. They don't want to have to stand and fight every battle alone. Men, husbands, we must stand strong in what God has called us to do. And when we are obedient, when we are pursuing that everybody below us flourishes, the wife, the kids, right? Because the parents are authorities over the kids, over our children. Colossians 3.20, faith followers, listen carefully. I know you're in here and some of you have notes. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And every parent says, amen. And every child says, oh, no. Children, obey your parents in everything. See, we have to change the way that we think about parenting because the culture tells us to parent a certain way. The culture says, get them into the right preschool so they do well in kindergarten, so they do well in school, so they get to the right college, so they get the right job and they meet the right person and, and then your job is done. But that's not the picture of authority that the Bible paints. Parents who exert godly authority will do all they can to spiritually empower their children. And this starts with dealing with your own junk. So many parents, so many of us, we're parenting and we're parenting from places of hurt, places of unhealed trauma, places of enemy attack, and we don't even know. And then so that comes out in the way that we treat our wives, our families, our kids. Right? We, we take a step back and we say, well, I know I shouldn't be acting like this. I know I shouldn't be lording over my family. I know I shouldn't be living and leading like this. And then we try and we grit our teeth and we clench our fists and we say, all right, I'm just gonna try harder. I'm just gonna try harder. And we don't actually ever deal with anything. Right, look. Uh, believing repentance Right? Believing repentance. So when we believe and we repent for the first time, it saves us from the judgment of our sins. We will no longer be judged. There is no longer any condemnation. Right? We are not judged by God in that moment forevermore. But there are places where we need specific repentance to free us from the effects, from the consequences of our sin, and from the junk that our sin brings in. And unless we go after that healing, unless we go after that uh, inner, uh, inner cleansing, 
unless we do that, we'll parent, we'll, we'll uh, lead wives. I'm talking as a man, we'll lead our wives from junk. Women, you're gonna deal with your, you gotta deal with your junk too. I mean, and, and, and doing that, that, that's a principle that doesn't just extend to the family. That's a principle that extends to all the things that I've already talked about from the government. Like, what if all the politicians actually dealt with their junk? Like, what if they said, God, you can heal me. God, you can do it. And they did it. What if pastors dealt with their junk? Husbands, wives, mothers, fathers. We do all that we can, and it starts with you. And then after that, as you go and you process, then everything you do should be every decision you make should be focused on how do I spiritually empower my child. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use an example from my life. I'm not telling you to parent the way I parent. Other people make different decisions for different reasons. But one of the ways that my wife and I decided that we were going to spiritually empower our children was one that I never thought that I would do. My kids go to a private Christian school. And I thought, private school? Yuck. That's what I thought. But then once we see the state of public schools, where it's going, uh, we were in the best public school in our town, and it left me cold and dry. <laughs> it left my kids the same way. We said, okay, we're going to do everything we need to do. We're going to apply for every scholarship. We're going to scrape together every penny. We're going to sacrifice this and this, and uh, my wife's going to work a little bit so that we can spiritually empower them in their education. And, and some people have chosen public school. Some people have chosen private school. Some people have chosen homeschooling. Uh, some people have just said, go do whatever. We don't care anymore. That's probably not one you should do. But there are ways, that's one of the ways that we've decided to spiritually empower our children. So all these decisions that you make as parents have to be, okay, what is best for my child, not academically, not socially, not, not for the college they're going to get into, not for the job they're going to get, but how is, it going to, how is it going to raise them in the spirit of God? How is it going to nourish their souls? How is it going to show them the glory and the splendor of Jesus? And then at some point, because it is true that at some point, you will say, okay, little birdie, now go fly. You're out of the nest. You're done. But a big question is, when does that actually happen? There's not a real clear line in Scripture when the parental authority ends, but both sides would, sides would be wise to discuss it. Right? The, kind of the, 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 well, I won't say it's not clear. There's one clear spot. The one clear spot is that they will leave their father and mother and cling to their spouse. So marriage is one clear line where the authority ends. But so many people have put off marriage to, to late 20s, early 30s. They've put off marriage. They're living at home still. They're doing all these things. And the line of authority isn't really clear. Because the, the kid wants to live on their own, but the parent's like, you're under my roof. 
And the kid's like, but I'm an adult. I pay your bills. Right? There's this give and take that goes back and forth where there's, and, and so I'm not talking just in that realm. I am talking about spiritual authority where there has to be a time. And for every kid, it could be different. It could be 18, could be 20. The Bible has some stuff around the age of 20 where they sit down and they say, okay, I've raised you. I am now leaving my spiritual authority over you and you are under Jesus fully and completely by yourself now. Now that doesn't mean that you still don't disciple, still don't pour into, still don't love them and show them the goodness of God. But for some of you who have older kids, you might think about having a conversation like that. Because if you don't, there will be confusion later. So we have government, pastors, family structures, and some of you might say, well, I don't really fit into any of those anymore. My kids are gone. Uh, I don't really follow politics. Uh, what, do, what do I do? I'm not a pastor. Where do I go? Uh, here's the last category. And it's one that, that uh, I'm calling gifting authority. Gifting authority is you understanding your area of uh, your authority in your area of spiritual gifting. Where God has gifted you with a gift of the Spirit, you have a measure of authority there. Now I'm going to talk about three ways. It's a particular role, in a particular ministry, or as an office. And so no matter whether you're in a role, a ministry, or an office, and I'll get to those in a second, no matter which of those you're operating in, you will be given the heavenly authority that you need when you need it. Let's explain these really quick. A role. Everybody can have a ministry role. Everybody. A ministry role uh, is using authority on the spot in a situation that you don't usually find yourself in. Here's two examples. One, you're not a very merciful person. You took the spiritual gift test, and like me, your mercy came up with one. Right? All the others are like 10, 15, 12, and your mercy came up one. But you come into contact with somebody, you come across someone who is in need, and in that moment, you know exactly what needs to be done, and you do it without hesitation. Right? That's a role. We will find ourselves in those all the time. And we cannot limit ourselves. Well, oh, well, that's not my gift. That's not my area. Because God, in that moment, has put somebody in your path so you can say, oh, you want to use me right here, right now, in this way. And it makes me feel wildly uncomfortable. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to rely on you. Right? Here's another example. You don't normally pray for healing, but somebody asks for you to pray for them in that moment. And you pray and see the authority of your words bring about physical change. Right? Well, how do I pray for healing? Good question. Come to Kingdom Basics, October 30th and November 6th, right? You find yourself in a situation, you're like, ah, this one's a little uncomfortable for me. This one's a little difficult for me, but God, I know you have it. So you use the authority of Christ in that moment you will all find yourselves in that moment. And don't doubt your authority because it's not your, your most used area of gifting. God is still working. The spirit is still moving, right? He's got you. The next is ministry. And this is operating in your most gifted area of gifting. 
You like how I use that word twice so it will come across to you? Your most gifted area of gifting. So whatever it is, you know, I've already mentioned mercy, healing, uh, prophetic helps, uh, all of the gifts that we've talked about and gone through. These are the gifts that you operate in most and you see the most effectiveness in. And everybody has these places in them. You might not know it yet. You might not have come across it. You might not have figured it out, but you have a place like this. You have, you have, a, you have this power of the spirit in you to do this. And if you don't know, man, we'd, I'd love to walk you through that process of trying to figure out where he wants to use you. In these areas, your words and actions will have a consistent track record of success. God will use you with the authority given to you by Jesus and will affect change. Ministry and office are pretty much the same, except an office is the same as ministry, but you have been recognized and appointed by an organization, institution, or a church. So um, uh, what you'll find yourself in is, okay, you are officially given this role, this title, it'll come with a title, might come with pay, might not come with pay, and uh, if it's a church or a religious organization, but they'll say, this is your role. At the most common uh, role, uh, the, excuse me, the most common, common office in the church is pastor. Even though most pastors are mislabeled and just given the title out of tradition. I've said multiple times, uh, I'm not, I, I don't have the pastoral gifting. I have other gifting, right? Um, but they've given a title pastor because that's what they do to people who lead the church. My last church ordained me. This church recognized the ordination. And so I've been given the title pastor, right? But if you need some real pastoring, I'll send you to someone else, right? But, but it's the most common office. And, and so what happens is, what happens is, is that people get frustrated when the pastor isn't acting like a pastor and they're acting more like a teacher or they're acting more um, apostolic or they're acting more uh, like an evangelist or, or whatever it is, right? All these different roles. And then we say, well, he's not being what a pastor should be. Well, what is a pastor supposed to be? Because the word's only used once in the New Testament referring to the office of pastor. Once. That's all. Right, So when we look at it, uh, it's the most common office, but it's so mislabeled. But there are churches and organizations that have offices that are not pastoral in nature. Some churches apply prayer leaders or intercessors. Some, pe- some churches um, will do uh, music leaders. Uh, all these other offices where you have been given a title, maybe a salary, that's the difference. So you have, you will come across roles where God says, in this moment, use my authority. Some of you, all of you, excuse me, have a place where you will walk that is a ministry where you are specifically gifted and you see effectiveness in. And then some, not everyone, but some will attain, get to an office. So now I'm finally gonna get to my passage. All right? You're still in Luke. Here's how you walk in authority relationships. Here's how you walk. You first seek Jesus. Now a centurion had the servant who was sick and at the point of death, and he was highly valued about him. And so what did he do? He remembered, oh, I heard about this Jesus guy. 
and he's healing people. And he's doing all these miracles. So he sends the elders of the Jews asking him to come. He goes and he seeks out Jesus first. So in any place in these authority relationships, in your roles, in your ministries, whatever you have at work, in home, whatever you have, your first, your first step, your first call to duty is to seek Jesus. Because here's what happens. Maybe not to everybody, but I've had conversations with multiple people where this happens, including to myself. Because once you begin to walk in your authority, it becomes more natural, then the temptation will be to do everything on your own rather than seeking Jesus. The temptation will be not to sit down and say, Jesus, what are you doing in this moment? Father, what do you want to do in this place? But you'll just walk into a situation and say, I've done this before, I know this, so I'm just gonna do it right now. That's why I talked last week when we were talking about authoritative prayers, that if I'm in my right mind, I will stop and say, okay, Holy Spirit, come, what do you want to do in this moment? But sometimes, but it's easy to just go in and say, oh, I know what God wants to do. He's done it before. But seeking Jesus first. And so some of you who maybe haven't been as comfortable walking in your authority, haven't understood that up until this point, have never been taught it up until now, seek Jesus. See the places where he's gifted you. See, see the opportunities that he's placing in front of you because he will place opportunities in front of you if you ask and then say, okay, guide me, use me, lead me, all of it. And I want to say your words. I want to do what you want to do in this moment. Seek Jesus first. And the second thing is trust his word. Trust his word. A few verses down, the Jews go out and they say, hey, go do it on behalf of the centurion. He deserves it. He, built, he helped build our synagogue. He helps us out. He's good to the Jews. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not, did not presume to come to you but say the word and let my servant be healed. He says, you just say it. You say it, I'll believe it, it will happen. So we have to look at the word that he's given us and say, okay, you said it, it was written down, it was given, I'm actually going to believe it. And then there's the, the times where he'll speak to us and say, okay, I believe that was you, God. I'm going to believe that you will actually do it. To be in authority, we must trust that Jesus is capable of doing what he says he will do. So if we want to, if we want to be better husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, if we want to do that, we have to trust that Jesus will empower us to do that. We have to trust that he said I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. We have to trust these things that he said so that we can walk in the authority that he's given us. Okay. And then the last way is that we have to understand our level of authority by understanding whose authority we use. The... the, the the place in this passage that seems a little bit off is he doesn't tell Jesus. The centurion doesn't say, 
I have a lot of authority, and I know you have a lot of authority, so come heal my servant. He says, I too am a man under authority. So he recognizes that Jesus' authority doesn't come from Jesus himself, but it comes from the Father. He says, I know what it's like to be under authority. I don't run things. I'm not in charge of everything, but I do have people under me, and so when I go tell them to do something, they do it. And when I tell them to get over here, they get over here. He says, and I know you're the same way. Not that Jesus wields all of his authority by his own power, but Jesus is set under the authority of the Father. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Apart from the Father, he can do nothing. So to fully walk in our authority, we have to constantly, consistently remind ourselves that we only walk in authority because of the Father, because of Jesus, and because of the Spirit inside of us. We understand our level of authority by understanding whose authority we use. And the centurion understood who Jesus is, who gave Jesus authority. He recognizes that Jesus, he recognizes that Jesus, not as having authority, but sitting under the authority of the Father. And because of the authority of the Father, he knows the power that Jesus holds. But he knows it's from, so if you want to wield the power of heaven here on earth, it's because of, it's sitting under the authority of Jesus who has been given all authority. You sit under the authority of Jesus. And this is like the last thing that I'm gonna say for this whole series. Just begin to learn it. Just begin to walk in it. Just begin to test it out. Right? I've given you the information over six weeks and I know you remember every single word I said and every single great point that I made. It's all in your brains now. But walk in it. You've heard. Some of you have seen. Now it's time for you to wield the same authority. It's not just, it's not just for people who get up on the stage. It's not just for people who have an office in the church but it's for everyone. If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have believed him for the forgiveness of your sins and you have claimed him as Lord over your life, you can wield the authority of heaven here on earth. It is yours. Will you grasp it? Will you take it? Will you say, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I have to do in this situation, so I'm going to do it. And then there will be other times where you'll say, I don't know what to do in this situation, but God, you just, you're my authority. You tell me, will you walk in it? That's the question. That's the whole thing. That's the whole summary uh, for you to take home is, will you walk in it? As we reflect the first question, do you willingly sit under the authority of God? I just said, if you're a believer, you have the authority. If you're not a believer, you don't. By making Jesus Lord in your life, believing that he rose again from the dead, it's all there. 
He forgives your sins. He gives you the Holy Spirit and so much more for his glory and for your good and for the good of those around you. You wield it. And so ask yourself, where has God put me in a position of authority? Who, can, who am I called to spiritually empower? And, and let me say this, because I, 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 I didn't make it clear um, earlier. The authority could be officially recognized. Like, like, say you're at work and you're a manager and there's people under you. You're a mid-level manager, there's people under you. It could be official like that. But people will give you authority in their lives just by talking to them, by listening to them, by them, by friendship, getting to know people. They will allow you a measure of authority. So where do you have some authority where you can spiritually empower someone? Where can you walk and do that? And finally, like I asked, will you begin to walk in it? Will you say, I I know you, I know the power, I'm gonna walk in it. I might not not know where I'm going every time, I might not understand it every time, but man, by the power of heaven, I'm going to walk in it. Will you begin to walk in it? And you might say, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start, right? You can contact me personally. My email address is on the bulletin. Come to the next Kingdom Basics. That's what Kingdom Basics is. It's teaching people to walk in these things. There's so many different ways to get started, and we'd, I'd love to help you. So the band's gonna come up, and I want you guys to stand. For the prayer time, I was given a, a couple conditions that might, God might be wanting to heal. Um, the first two, I was not given. Somebody told me that they believed that God was saying this to them. For a hernia, you can come up front and be prayed for, or uh, a collarbone. So if you have either one of those. And then one that I thought that I heard... Um, it's, it's another kind of strange one, a niche one, is fibromyalgia. Uh, so if you have fibromyalgia, I'd love to pray for you at some point before you leave. Let's bow our heads. We're just gonna sit for a second. Align our hearts. Father, I pray that we would be hungry and that we would desire to walk in the authority of Jesus, not for our own selfish gain, but for the glory of God. Not so that we make a name for ourselves, but so that we can tell people Jesus did that. It was him. 
That's how much he loves you. says we were given not fear power not fear power you have been given a spirit of power you have been given a spirit of power not fear So at the name of Jesus, all fear must leave and must go. It bows to the name of Jesus. When we submit ourselves, resist the devil, he must flee. And his spirits of fear must flee. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have been given a spirit of power. You have been given a spirit of power not of fear, in the name of Jesus.
There's a hope that calls that courage In the burning sun of And of daring expectation